think Jesus is the light and the way in. They don't care what our Lord sacrificed, they just rationalize with science like the Antichrist. But you just grab them and you send them here. I'm gonna put a little knowledge in their ears. And they might have been Darwin devotees, but now they're down in the cathedral praying on their knees. Cause they were only godless sinners till they met me. Hello and welcome to Casting Wax 50th episode. Ho ho! So thank you for that and listening and good stuff. My name is Scape White. I am the host of this podcast. Maybe I wasn't always the host, but I am now. So I get to celebrate 50th episode. With me are my co-hosts. Um, this guy is named Frank Allen. Hello, Scape. Uh, thank you for introducing me. My name is Frank Allen. As he said, I am very proud to have been on many of the episodes of this podcast. So thank you for listening and congratulations to the podcast for reaching its 50th episode. It took a little bit longer than a year, so obviously it didn't keep exactly weekly. No, no, but, but we did try to do weekly. And I think maybe I was in every episode of this podcast. <laughs> I think. Well, regardless, though, I mean, we all were in a lot of them, and even the ones I wasn't in live, I was in them uh, a lot of the time in other capacities. Well, yes, yes, that's true. And, and I think Mr. Roy Sinjin, in that respect, was in all of them, too. Well, yes, uh, hello, my name is Roy Sinjin, and yes, I, I believe I was, by, by being in This Day in History and Where Are They Now in History, perhaps I was in all of them. I, I might be mistaken, but, you know, it's a good guess. At any rate, uh, thank you very much for having me on the podcast, Scape, and congratulations to all involved. 50 episodes is quite a remarkable thing, even if, as Frank pointed out, we weren't weekly. We did do quite a bit of effort, and we do put in a lot of new content to every episode, so it's quite exciting. And even more new content now, because we do less shows and more stuffs. <laughs> that we do. And I have one other co-host to introduce, okay? It is not my dad, unfortunately. But it is a robot of my dad, Jordan D. White. <laughs> Hello, my name is Jordan D. White. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, robot. Thank you. Um, what? It's really good of you to be on the show. It is my pleasure to be on the show. I enjoy being on the podcast, and I will do everything in my power to make sure the podcast is as good as possible. Well, you don't have to work too hard, because I've got it pretty much under control, okay? <laughs> now, I should mention, speaking of uh, not being weekly, exactly, <laughs> that we were supposed to be on last week, but... Uh, we couldn't because of, like, stuff that happened. Yes, because, well, what it was was, it was that... Well, we're going to get to it in the next section. Yes, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the watch. Well, then let's start it. Let's start it now. One, two, three. It's a robot. A robot. Robot and friends are in the... It's a robot. A robot. We're watching a friend. We're watching a friend. That was a very up-tempo version of it. Very, very nice. Thank you, thank you. I was, I was, I was really psyched for it. So I was like, it's, oh, no. I was like really into it. Oh, no. 
yeah. Well, that was very good. Very spirited. And it's actually quite appropriate because we have some big, big Apple Watch news. As our faithful listeners know, two weeks ago, on the 30th of March, was when Allen Cable Television, the, the, the cable network launched by Allen Industries, did begin broadcasting. Now, I'm sure we don't have to tell you this because you all, you know, have national news. So you, you probably heard. But um, within 24 hours, it was stopped. It was put off the air because of an injunction, a federal injunction, because a lawsuit was brought against Allen Industries uh, based on the cable network's programming. A lawsuit was launched and um, was put into action by Mr. Jordan White against Allen Industries, saying that all the shows on Allen Cable Television were stolen by Allen Industries from Mr. White, from Jordan White, as you know, um, a friend of the show, obviously. And that began, you know, a whole a whole legal ball of yarn unrolling or raveling or whatever you want to say, whatever, you know, a, a snowball rolling. The point is... That's why we weren't on the show last week. Yeah, we were obviously, as uh, you know, people who are intimately familiar with Jordan White's shows and Jordan White's stories and things like that, uh, we were called in to give depositions, to make statements and things like that. So uh, we were going to be here last weekend to record the show, but that's why we weren't is that we had that problem. Absolutely, absolutely correct. So as I'm sure you'll realize, uh, from our description of the shows and already being a listener to the podcast so you know what Jordan White's uh, programs were like, it seemed fairly obvious that, that they were actually stolen. And uh, as I'm sure you all realize, there was, of course, a settlement reached between the two parties. We actually have a clip from the press conference that was put out by the by the AP, of course, from when they announced the settlement. We'll play, we'll play a little clip from it. This is Franklin Allenton with his lawyer, Matthew Roma, who is also a friend of the show. Right, also a friend of the show. He's, he's appeared on the show before. This is them giving their press conference when the settlement was reached. All right. Uh, this is uh, Matthew Roma. You do a press conference. Uh, we're essentially uh, we're announcing the successful settlement with Mr. White and uh, Allen Industries will be going off the air as of uh, whenever it stops. Uh, Mr. Allenton. Thank you very much. This is uh, Franklin Allenton. And it pains me that we will no longer be able to offer you such shows as The Baffling Adventures of the Bright Batch, Draper and Hart, and Religion Yay or Nay. But it is my earnest hope that Mr. White, with with his newest acquisitions due to the settlement, may be able to put on shows of comparable worth and excellence on our airwaves. All right, any questions? Mr. Alton, Mr. Alton, did you really steal those shows from Mr. White? Uh, yeah, that's a, that is actually not really a question I can answer as part of the terms of the uh, settlement. Yeah, they uh, they said we they said we stole the shows. Uh, my brother Matt Roma, he said we stole them or he stole them. Uh, we said we didn't steal them. Yeah, maybe we did, maybe we didn't. It doesn't really matter because we lost. It's just basically what we were saying. Since we're defending ourselves, we have to say we didn't steal them, even um, if we did steal them. Uh, really, Mr. Roma, that's uh, quite enough there. No, I mean that's the way it is. I mean, if we stole them, we're not going to say we stole them. That's why we said we didn't steal them. Yeah, and let me just point out, we were never quite uh, proven liable for anything. This is simply a settlement situation. No one's truly right or wrong in this kind of picture. Yeah, that's why we settled. I mean, they say we stole them. We said we didn't because we we didn't want to lose all the money. That's why we settled. But you did lose all the money. Well, yeah, but we could have got worse. That's uh, that's why it's a settlement, not a conviction. I mean, we wouldn't have settled with something stupid. I mean, it might have been kind of stupid. Yeah, I mean, we could have done better, but hey, it was a settlement. Uh, Mr. Roma, that that's quite enough. Uh, look, the the details, the grave 
deep details of the settlement are actually kept confidential for very specific reasons. I really wish to go no further into detail upon this. Yeah, we're not saying everything, but I mean, obviously we can see we kind of lost out here. And they, they, I mean, so it looks, I mean, I, sure, it looks like we stole it. I'm, I'm not supposed to say we stole it, because, I mean, maybe we didn't steal it. But, yeah, I mean, we lost. They said we stole it, we lost. I mean, do the math. M- Mr. Roma, uh, to be quite uh, frank here, you're making me look bad. Uh, that really is left at the discretion of Mr. White. Uh, he has all the assets of Allen Industries now, and really it's his decision. Yeah, it's up to up to Mr. White. He's got all the rights to them now because we lost. Well, basically we lost. It was a settlement. But, uh, I mean, the shows weren't that good on our version anyway, so, I mean, it's, I mean if you want to watch them, uh, you're probably out of luck because uh, the Allen Industries ones were kind of kind of lousy in the first place. Yes, uh, uh, I, I see a question right from... Uh, over here, yeah. In fact, uh, why did I hire you in the first place? I'm a good lawyer. I know my business. Uh, clearly, clearly you do. What's next for you, Mr. Allenton? Well, I was uh, thinking about pursuing my my first real love in life, and that is going out and uh, moving to the countryside, getting some farm equipment, and writing a little series I like to call Tractor Fiction. I think it's going to be a huge success, and I don't think anyone has, uh, hopefully no one's quite taken that name yet for uh, any sort of entertainment venue. Well, uh, thanks ladies and gentlemen for coming, um, no refreshments at the door, that's the press conference. Wow, it couldn't have happened to uh, uh, um, uh, uh, another guy. I'm glad it didn't happen to another guy. I got, I, I'm, I'm glad it happened to Franklin, is what I'm saying. Well, that's funny that you say that. I mean, it was your fault. Say. No, it wasn't my fault. Look, it, I was not held any liable at all. This was a settlement. All the legal things are done. Yes, but you started the company, so they were. No, there I'm not, because it's all settled. Correct, Jordan? Legally speaking, the matter seems to be settled, and therefore there are no loose ends that could implicate Frank Allen at this time. Well, you're a robot. What do you know? I have been fully programmed with the legal details of this podcast and its related sources. See, he knows what he's talking about. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. Uh, so that's good. And uh, we, do we also have some. We also have something from from Jordan's lawyer, though, right? Yes, we also have the clip from Jordan's lawyer. Much shorter press conference. Go ahead. All right, and uh, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I'm uh, Mr. White's lawyer, Matt Roma. Uh, just brief comments. Um, he wrote these shows. Uh, they stole them, uh, Allenton, and uh, so basically we won because uh, we said you stole the stuff, and basically they gave us all the money. Uh, so. Yeah, we got all the money, we got all the rights, it's all finished, uh, they're washed up. They stole, shouldn't steal. Thanks. So, as you can see, um, basically, Allen Cable Television is gone, Allen Industries is gone, and all of it goes to Jordan White, you know? So, it's pretty, it's pretty astounding, it's pretty astonishing. Um, so, here we are, doing our podcast, and, uh, you know, meanwhile, Jordan White is basking in celebrity and, you know, victory, legal victory and things like that. It's pretty astonishing. And uh, I should point out that you'll hear more about this later on the show for my Frank Allen interview. Right, right. I interview Jordan White and I get an exclusive, because of my connection to him, an exclusive no one else will have this interview. Well done on that. Well done. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, Frank, for making us like a little instance of uh, special things for my podcast. Okay. So, uh, enough about... Frank Allen and his nonsense tomfoolery. <laughs> it's time to talk about Scapey White and how great he is. Well, I didn't. I didn't really think that's what time it's. 
It is. Well, it is because uh, this next thing we have up here is Epic Echoes, which is a show that Scapey White was like the star of, okay? We were in it. Well, I was in many ways the star. I was like a breakout star. We were in it. Well, I think, okay, we can uh, disagree if we want, but I think Jordan Robot will agree with me, correct, Jordan Robot? I've been programmed to agree with the host of the show in all things, so you are correct, Scapey. Thank you, thank you. Fortress Fuzzbottom was a breakout star of Epic Echoes? Fertress Fuzzbottom was the breakout star of Epic Echoes. It was, in fact, unfortunate that he was killed off in his very first appearance. Well, but it's backwards. It's a backwards series, so it's okay. He was killed off, but then he was in pretty much everything else. So, <laughs> worked out. It did work out, yes. Uh, yeah, but programming a robot to agree with you doesn't actually make you any brighter than you were. You know, uh, he, I could program him to agree with me, and then that would be the case. I am programmed to disagree with you, Frank Allen, so that would not be the case. Yeah, but if you were programmed to agree with me, then it would be the case. No, it would not. But if you... but. That's because you're programmed not to, and if you were, I would not. Yes, but in the reality in which you were programmed to, then it would be that you would, correct? I have not been programmed to access other realities, so therefore I cannot answer with verifiable certainty. Well, fortunately you have an expert here. I can verify with absolute certainty that that would be correct. The absolute certainty of your own Stupid brain. Can we... Okay, you know what? Fine. Let's introduce Epic Echoes. Let's do Epic Echoes. All right, Scapey? Yes. Go ahead, robot. Introduce it. This is Epic Echoes. The Backward Series, Season 3, Episode 6, A Web of Electronic Information, by Jordan D. White. The flashback stood in awe of the three five-foot spider robots that stood before them, obliviously weaving their elaborate digital webbing throughout the forest on the shore of the Cross River Reservoir in Westchester County, New York, in October 2006. Max Thornfield stood at the head of the group, his adopted sister Dralis taking up the rear. Malicious Mobius, what are those things? It must be the cryptogs Lucian mentioned. It makes sense. This digital hyperfiber they're spinning, in addition to being strong as steel and sticky as Saturnian honey, it appears to be decoding all encrypted information on the local's global computer network, the World Wide Web. Why did the 21st century people call the global electronic information network a web? Rumor has it they would get caught in it for hours at a time without being able to disentangle themselves. Poor bastards. That's ironic. Spiderbots on a web of electronic information. I'm sure it's a coincidence, Jimmy. Some things are too corny to be made up. Well, so long as these spiders aren't from Mars, we should have them wrapped up in no- Ah! Shot her! It's got her! One of the cryptogs had shot a glowing purple thread out at Jill, then began using four of its legs to reel her back in. The little cat man grabbed onto her foot as she was drawn in and held fast. Dallas! Help us! All right, but don't take it the wrong way. Stralis, always the team's physical powerhouse, leapt into the fray towards the mechaarachnid that had ensnared her friend. But just as she got close, it vanished in a flash of electricity along with her captured friends. Where'd they go? My info glasses say a row through its digital line to somewhere else on the planet. How do we save them? It looks like we got problems of our own, Molly. Indeed, the remaining two cryptogs had taken notice of the five remaining pac and had woven a virtual net around them on all sides. 
I'll take this one, Molly. You take that one. Got it. I think. I'm with you, Max. And Molly, I can... Ah! Simultaneously, both eight-legged fiends left at the pack. Max and Drowless grappling with one, Molly and Keen with the other. Within seconds, both had whisked their opponents away through the virtual interweb they had woven throughout the planet, leaving Jimmy standing alone in the forest clearing, surrounded by the purple wires. Um, I'll wait here. I guess. Hurry back! A minute or so before, Slatter and Fertress had appeared on the 50-yard line of the Arthur J. Rooney Athletic Field, a 4,500-seat multi-purpose facility in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, scattering football players like ping-pong balls. The Spider-Bot proceeded towards the field goal, still dragging the human girl and cat man behind him. The football game's audience was clearing out of the stadium faster than a Titan's rubber bobsled. What happened? Where are we? He must have surfed us away somehow! Surfed? What does the computer network have to do with surfing? I don't know! I just... Ah! The Cryptog, atop the goal, lifted Slatter off the ground and grabbed a hold of her, spinning her around as it coated her in its fiber optics. I'll save you! As Slatter dangled from the goalpost, Furches gripped his claws into her pant leg and climbed off her spinning body. At her chest, he slashed into the sticky electric connection and slid it all the way back down to her feet. They both tumbled to the ground and immediately began scampering downfield, dodging the newly spun cords being fired at them as they went. What do we do now? Let him catch you again! What? You just got me free! Trust me! All right. Hey, you ugly spider butt, stick to this! Almost immediately, the bug had re-roped Slaughter. Gotcha! The Catman leapt the wall to the stands, raised his paws, and began incanting like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> Slaughter noticed the air around her getting wavery, like a humid summer day. The effect got worse and worse until the entire football field was full of water. All the wiring connecting the mechaarachnid to the field flickered out, and the connections to the base of the bug sparked and smoked as the creature shorted out. The cryptog lost its grip on the field goal and plunged into the water below. Just as Slaughter bobbed to the surface, she swam over to where Fertress sat, comfortable and dry. You did it! How did you know the electric wires wouldn't electrocute me? Eh, yuck. What? Meanwhile, Max and Dralis had been banished to Bidwell Mansion State Historic Park in Chico, California. They appeared in the drawing room of the Italian-style villa, and immediately Drells began swallowing the robotic creature. I think I... Oh, got it, Max. I can... Take this thing. Just keep safe. And just outside the Royal Palace of Belgium and Brussels, Molly and Kim were having trouble of their own. They'd managed not to get bitten by the mechanical jaws and were circling the cryptog as it looked from one to the other, calculating who it should pounce on. What's the play, Molly? I thought you said you weren't answering to me anymore. I meant in my love life. This is pack business. Your love life is pack business. What? How? How about when you save all your teleporter charges to run off to see your boy toy instead of using it to save your friends from Empiro? Oh, you want me to use my teleporter, do you? You want me to teleport? King kicked at the cryptog's metal foot. <laughs> hey, you worthless decoding, web-spinning, info-sucking net whore. You can decode binary for zero. Here's a puzzle for you. T-I-E-B space E-M. You want a piece of this? Come get it. Spiderbot leapt at Sarah Keen with all its might. Thankfully, Keen teleported out of the way before it hit her. Instead, the metal beast collided with the large stone columns of the palace, forcing its processor into a hard reboot and knocking it unconscious. Happy? Molly spun around to see a grumpy Keen behind her. Now I can't get us back the rest of the pack. Max will figure something out. Who knows where they might be anyway. Max and Dralis, for example, were still in Bidwell Mansion. Max ducking behind a large chair as Dralis continued to pound the stuffing out of the cryptop. Problem is, none of the stuffing was actually coming out. The bot was tough. I don't think it's working, Dralis. Got any oh, better ideas, Max? Just one. Max hopped up onto the back of the chair and with a woohoo, leapt out onto the back of the spider thing. 
Max, no! It bucked and shook like an angry sea serpent in the fist of Triton, but Max kept his legs wrapped around its torso with all his might, holding on to its neck with one hand and letting the other fly free. Settle down now, girl. Settle down. The cryptog continued in its attempts to shake the flash pack's leader off its back. Max reached into his pocket with his free hand and pulled out a little metal box. He held it near the bug's cyber eyes. See this? It's an EMP. Electromagnetic pulse. You gonna settle now? The cryptog ceased its movement immediately, and the sudden stillness almost threw Max to the ground. He managed to stay on, however, and held the EMP to the Mechaarachnid's temple. I... I can't believe that worked! Of course it did, Dralis. I learned to ride from Tex Morinstar, craziest cowpoke of destiny on all of Ultra Earth. Now hop on. This cooperative little filly is gonna take us to our friends. My pleasure... A moment later, the pair rode the web signal to Pennsylvania, where... And it killed me! But I didn't! Besides, you're human. You should have nine lives, right? What? No, cats have nine lives. <sighs> That's a myth. You got Stravis! You saved me! Actually, Max beat the thing. Grab a hold, guys. And you. Web up your wet buddy there and drag him along. And soon, in Brussels... Well, I think he is good for me, and you can't stop me from... Max! You found us. It was easy, Molly. This tame little thing was able to sense you on its web. Good thing. Or else we might have had to just browse the web until we found you. Who knows how long that would have taken. And finally, back at the reservoir. You're back. And you beat the Cryptogs. Yes, Jamie. Now we've just got to figure out what to do with the things. I've got an idea about that, actually. I've been sitting here looking at this web woven all around me, and I thought, who better to deal with a bunch of spiders than the goddess of weaving? Athena? Of course I can't contact Athena personally, but a priest can. So then I thought, where's the biggest shrine to Athena in all of history? The Athena Cathedral in Canterbury, England. Good thinking, Jimmy. And where better to imprison electrical impulse-feeding robots than in a time with no electronics? What do you think? 1683? Sound good? Perfect! William is, uh... Sir William is alive, then. I can stop in and give him a report on our progress. Yeah, make sure you give him a real personal report. Chill! That's okay, Sarah. We all know you've been seeing Sir William. You do? It's natural. He's a dashing guy. We all understand. Um, I don't... You will when you're older, Jimbo. Sheesh. Come on, gang. Let's get going before the cryptog realizes this EMP is just a glamour. Uh... Whoops. Quick, hands, everyone. The flash pack quickly joined hands around the captured spider bots just before they were able to make a move and vanished back into the British Isles of the past. As the flash pack goes back to their primary mission of fighting the vampiros, will they come out on top? And will they all survive? Find out next time in Marsh Madness. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon was Dralis Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Lynn Nelson was Jill Slaughter, Tong Wen Wong was Sarah Keen, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, and Scape White was Fertris Fuzzbottom. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you, Rory. Thank you so, so ever much. Um, so, now that Aaron Industries is gone, there's no more history of today, right, Frank Aaron? Uh, well, yeah, that's true. So I guess that's true. So the only place to get history of today is now this day in history, correct? Yes, that is correct. No, that's not correct. There's plenty of, you could go on the internet, there's lots of internet sites that will do that. I'm sure the History Channel, I mean, all sorts of different places will give you the history of that day. But none of them will give you an alternate history of that day based on something from that day that ends up varying from the history of that day. No, you're absolutely right. None of them will give you that because that is useless. Well, it isn't useless because there is a historical fact and... 
and a moral lesson to learn. Speaking of which, this actually isn't the history of today. This is the history of a week ago today, because, as you know, we were supposed to have a show last week. Well, I did a This Day in History, and uh, here it is. Hello, I'm Rory Sinjin, and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. On April 6th, 1896, the Olympic Games, a long-lost tradition of ancient Greece, were reborn in Athens, 1,500 years after being banned by Roman Emperor Theodosius I. King Georgios I of Greece welcomed athletes from 13 nations to the competition. Let's listen. Our next event will be... The beating of the spouses! <laughs> Welcome our athletes from all over the globe as they beat their spouses into submission! Come here, Helga, and get what is coming to you! Oh, thank you, sir. May I have another? Yes! Oh, thank you, sir. May I have another? I suppose so! And they're off to a great start, John. What do you think about this? Well, I think it's a wonderful fight here. Helga has has definitely increased her stamina since uh, the uh, practice runs last year in France. Oh, Oh, God, but it's so wrong! You should never beat your loved ones because that is not how we show love. Oh, I cannot walk. Unfortunately, that was the very last of the new Olympic Games as well, as the entire world agreed. Beating your spouses is not a good idea. This is WHRW Binghamton. But don't run off yet. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? I'm Caston Wax. And while that was the end of the Olympic Games, most people don't realize it because it was shortly replaced by something called the Olympic Games. It was a ripoff of the Olympic Games that just had a P in front of it, and then they tried to, like, you know, pull back on the P, so it's Olympic Games, Olympic Games, you know, and eventually, over time, everybody just left off the P. But there really was a P. They just printed smaller and smaller on all their documents until now there's just kind of a little fleck that you can barely even tell is, is a P at all. It just says, the Winter Olympic Games, you know, it, it, uh, it's you can barely even notice it. But my point was that the Olympic Games were successful because they did acknowledge the fact that beating your spouse is not a good thing and that anyone who does beat their spouse should be reported to the proper authorities. So instead, the Olympic Games replaced that with things like, you know, basketball, javelin, running in place, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention to the Olympic Games, to be totally honest with you, because I was only ever really a fan of the binge drinking and vomiting events, which they also cut out of the Olympic Games, so, you know, they were. The point is this. The Olympic Games did take over and that beating your wife is wrong. Is isn't that enough? My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? I'm Caston Wax. Okay, um, I am very confident that there's no such thing as the Olympic Games. You are not very confident that there is no such thing as the Olympic Games. Yes, I am very confident. Oh my god, robot. I am very confident, and in addition to being very confident, I know it's true. So the point is, you're lying again, Rory Sinjin. I'm not lying, Frank Allen, because, as you know, this is an alternate reality I'm referring to, etc., etc., and even if I wasn't referring to an alternate reality, one of the conceits of the This Day in History that you just heard, and the Where Are They Now in History that you just heard, is that most people don't realize that it's the Olympic Games because they think it's the Olympic Games. So, the point is, it could be this reality that is the Olympic Games, and you, as an average citizen of that world, this world, would not know that. Yeah, Frank, it's pretty simple, duh. Even I know about Olympics. Oh, do you? What is the, what are the Olympics then? What are the Olympics? Uh, Olympics is like, when you break, it's like, it's like a thing. So You are correct. It is like a thing. No, it's not like a thing. Oh, there's no such thing as a thing. And even if there were, and you were saying thing, for example, you would still be wrong. You would technically be right because it is like a thing because it is a thing because of its, you know, the the Olympic Games are, you know, world championship games that are, are played every four years. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. 
out. That's what the Paralympic Games is. That's not what you said. You, I said that just now. You said it's like a thing. Well, it is. It's like that thing you just described. Yeah, but you didn't know that until I just said it. He did know it before you said it. He did. No, he didn't. This robot is a jerk, and he's wrong, and that's... Immoral. Well, whatever, Frank Allen, whatever. Do you want to introduce your interviewer what? Yes, of course I do, yes. All right. Um, so, as we were talking about earlier, Allen Industries, which was a noble endeavor... Uh, well, it wasn't really a noble endeavor, it's still true. Well, that was, again, it was a settlement, so it wasn't legally found to have stolen, but whatever, maybe... The point is, Allen Industries, which was going to be an interesting television network, was bought out by Franklin Allenton and now has been sued by Jordan White. And then they've reached a settlement in which all of the, the belongings of Allen Industries and all of the uh, assets of Allen Industries and Allen Cable Television go to Mr. Jordan White. So we've got an exclusive, 100% exclusive interview with Mr. Jordan White about this lawsuit, about his seeming victory, uh, about his future, about the past, all sorts of different things. Again, you'll all be familiar with him, but this should hopefully give some new insight into Jordan White and especially into the new events recently in his life. Uh, let's get right to it. This is my exclusive Frank Allen interview. Frank Allen Interviews, starring Frank Allen. Hello, and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. My name is Frank Allen. Uh, welcome back to the show. It's been a while since we did a Frank Allen interview, of course, but we are uh, very, very happy to be doing a Frank Allen interview yet again. We are very, very happy to have a, a gentleman that people who are familiar with the podcast uh, will already be familiar with, of course, uh, Mr. Jordan White. Why, hello there, Mr. Allen, and thank you very much for having me back on your program. Oh, it's, you know, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Now, you, Mr. White, you have made a lot of news recently uh, with the lawsuit that you have recently um, settled uh, out of court before it went to trial. That I have, that I have, and let me just tell you, it is me getting my just due, my just desserts, my my due, my rightful, very much rightful monies. Well, that that it sounds like it is, but why don't you tell us a little bit about this uh, this trial? Well, as your listeners will recall, back in the 1940s, I had a podcast called Shaped in Wax, in which I had a bunch of silent films that I had created and developed, and of course produced. It wasn't the most popular podcast in the history of podcasts, but it was a podcast and a very early one at that, so it is kind of a historical legend when it comes to uh, those in the know about podcasting. Right, right. Which, I mean, that's how I heard about it, and and, uh, and, and of course, everybody who listens to this podcast already knows about it, because we, we've talked about it before. Absolutely yeah. correct. Absolutely correct. But recently, there was a company called Allen Enterprises that started a television network called Allen Cable Television, and I put it on the very first night that it came on the air, only to discover that they had stolen all of my ideas from my silent films and put them on the television as moving pictures with sound. I was aghast, I've got to tell you. I immediately contacted my lawyer, Mr. Matt Roma. We served them notice, and they were off the air with an injunction in less than 24 hours. Less than 24 hours. Wow, that's really impressive. Now, now you said you were convinced uh, that they were uh, that they were stolen from your podcast. Why Why is that? Well, if I told you about the shows, tr trust me, you would know that they were pretty much directly taken right from my ideas. Not to mention that, as I said, my show is kind of known amongst podcasters, and my intelligence seems to indicate that the person who started the company originally, it wasn't the person who was in charge when I sued them, of course, but the person who started the company originally was a podcaster themselves. So it seems pretty likely that they would have heard of my shows and been totally able to steal all of them for their cable network. Well, I mean, okay, that's, you know, that's an unsubstantiated uh, uh, theorizing. But it seems very much within the realm of possibility, and that's why Mr. Roma and I took matters into our legal hands. That was very wise of you. That was very wise of you. Now, uh, obviously, we, we already said that the, the, the case was settled out of court. What can you tell us about that? Well, fortunately, part of the terms of my settling the case was that I could tell anyone I wanted to do anything I wanted to about the trial without them stopping me. They, in fact, have a gag order put on them about the trial 
and especially when pertaining to contradicting things that I say about it. So I'm free to tell you whatever I want to. All right, well, well, please tell us, tell us as much as you can slash want to tell us. It will be my pleasure. Basically, Mr. Roma and I took a look at their shows and took a look at my sound films, and we built what we think was an ironclad case right against them. We could show that they had stolen all of them pretty much directly. And when Mr. Roma revealed that to their lawyer, um, uh, Matthew uh, something or other, they almost immediately came back saying that they would settle for every ounce of money that Allen Industries was worth. The entire, the, the worth of the entire company, and that was a lot. Well, my accountants haven't quite figured out how much it's worth just yet. They are working on it as we speak, because as you know, I'm sure you realize, having retired from the entertainment industry, I have no interest in running a media conglomerate, so I pretty much shut the business right down. I'm having them sell off all the assets, settle all debts, and collect everything else that's left and make myself a nice little retirement fund. Interesting, interesting uh, choice of things to do. I mean, I, I'm sure that will come out to being a lot of money. <laughs> Probably. One would assume. Well, it's a multimedia conglomerate. I can't imagine that you can run a multimedia conglomerate without it being worth some sort of money. <laughs> no, no, you couldn't. I mean, you certainly couldn't run one like that. So, um, tell tell us about the uh, the the gentleman who who did own it before you. Uh, did you did you uh, talk with him directly? Yes, that was Mr. Franklin Allenton. He was a good man, a smart man, a man who knew how to do business, but a man who had unwittingly bought a business that had stolen all of its ideas, and that was his ultimate downfall. If he had known about my podcast to begin with, he could have gone into it with open eyes. But no, if you don't know your history of podcast, you are doomed to repeat it. He paid the price for that ignorance, but hopefully he learned from his lesson now, and so did his children and his children's children. If I have anything to do with it, right, right, okay. So it's fair to say then that. Franklin Allenton has been crushed. Well, I'm not sure I'd put it that way, but I certainly defeated him in legal battle. Would you say that his, what was his mood when it was over, though? Was he uh, in, incredibly dispirited? Did he did he cry? I certainly didn't see him cry. His eyes may have moistened a tiny bit, but he was a very stoic man. If there was one word I could use to describe him, it would definitely be together. So that's a guy who's not going to weep freely. That's as much I can tell you. Whether when he got home, in his privacy of his bedroom with his door shut and all the windows barred and closed, if he shed a tear or two, I couldn't say. But that guy's a man's man, and I'm proud to say I defeated him in battle, be it legal or otherwise. Well, it's legal, though, right? In this case. In this case, yes, it is legal, yes. Well, I hope that he did cry. So, I mean, that's for my own personal matter, but that's a side thing. But I do want to thank you again for being on this podcast. Now, you've brought with you, if I may be so bold, uh, some audio clips that you and your lawyer put together to be part of the case against uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Allenton and his company in the case that it did go to trial. Is that correct? Yes, that is absolutely correct. And this is some of the audio files we played for him and his lawyer when they realized that they were pretty much defeated already from the beginning. Excellent, excellent. And I do, I want to thank you because this is, of course, an exclusive, a waxwork.com uh Cast and Wax, Frank Allen Interviews exclusive. Uh, nobody else is going to be broadcasting these these clips that prove the, uh, the the stealing of your shows, correct? Well, not for at least a week, Frank. I did want to thank you very much. After all, you were the one who let me know that my no, shows... No, I mean, it's no, it's, it's no problem. I, uh, a week is fine. A week is fine, and, and I do appreciate that. Well, like I said, it's the least I could no, do. No, no, you don't have to be so thankful. Okay, but I'm glad, to, I'm very glad to have them on here. So, uh, let's 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 introduce them. Let's see what we've got here. Now, this, this first clip is from your original podcast, right? Right? Absolutely it is. This is from the silent film series Titanic Tales, the forward series, an episode called The Really Long Wire. Did you want to give us any setup for it? Well, of course, of course. In this episode, Jack Rockchild and the Time Teens have gone back in time from the future, where they normally live, to the present. And they're trying to stop a couple of giant ants from interfering with the very long wire that connects the three computers in the world. That sounds really interesting. Let's hear it. But all of a sudden, where there was absolutely...
absolutely nothing before. Jack Rockshot and the Time Fiends appear, and all the innocent witnesses seem to put their hands against their cheeks and make expressions like, oh, oh my goodness, as if they were saying something to that effect. Of course, you can't hear what they're saying because it is a silent film. Jack Rockshot puts his hand on top of his head and points at one of the giant ants who's attacking the cable. A car comes up and it says, look, one of the monsters is attacking that cable. Patty McGillicuddy puts the back of her hand against her forehead and kind of sways back and forth as she speaks, and the car comes up and says, how will the computers be able to connect to one another? Jack makes a signal that seems to indicate, come with me, and they all run towards the giant ants and start popping them right in the head. They all start punching and punching and punching, all with that fisticuffs that they do. Warrior dog Harry Floppiest jumps on top of the ant for a minute and starts flapping his gums for a sec, and a cart comes up and says, hey boss, I fetched him good, didn't I? The ant collapses on the ground on the top. Right, so that's that's from Titanic Tales. Uh, and then this next clip is from a show on Allen Cable Television, correct? That is correct. This is it. This is from the very first episode of The Baffling Adventures of the Bright Batch, of course, featuring the Bright Batch, led by Steve Waterford. All right, let's hear it. Uh, my understanding is very similar. You'll see for yourself, won't you, young man? Popper, how's the tachyon raincoat holding up? We'll be breaking through into actual reality any second, Steve. We better be ready. The mechroaches are already interfacing with the Wi-Fi technology. Understood. As soon as we get there, look up everything you can find about mechroaches on your laptop. It's too late for that. We're here. Look, there's the mechroaches. Ah! Professor Wendell, as you know, you're the only person here fully informed about mechroaches. Please, let us in. As you should know, mechroaches are bleeding-edge technophages and exoskeletally enabled automata. Created linking stem cell technology to the green technology of the early 2000s. They leave no carbon footprint, but they leave six silicon footprints. Well, it's pretty good for a turtle, but pick up the pace next time. Zinc, do you think it might be possible to create some kind of nebula fugue and trace the silicon footprint? Well, if we titrate silicon with all the stuff that's next to it on the periodic table, then we'll easily be able to track them and locate them faster. Excellent. Let's do it. Bright, Bright Batch Blaze! Try and keep up, Shellhead. Wow, that really was uh, very similar. I'm kind of I'm kind of shocked that they they were that similar. I knew they were similar, but I didn't realize that was how close they were. Um, all right, well, do we have some more clips? Absolutely, we do. I I brought a whole litany of clips. What have you got here? This is from one of our debate shows. It's called Communism or Stupid. Okay, right, right. I can understand that. This was a show where we would debate uh, the tenets of communism and decide whether they were stupid or not. Usually they were, but still, it was a debate show. And was like I explained last time I was here, it was actually secretly a comedy show. People were improvising the characters. Right, right. No, I remember that. That's right. Yes. Let, let's hear the clip. All right. On the left of the debate is General Rusky Ruskowski. He's got a ridiculous-looking phony mustache and is wearing an outfit that's got him decked out as some sort of crazy Russian general of some sort. Oh, he looks like a mean one. Big, bushy eyebrows and a fat, fat belly. Over on the right side, of course, you've got President Sam America, the American president. He's done up to look exactly like your Uncle Sam with his red, white, and blue outfit looking resplendent in the black and white film. He's got a smile brighter than the sun, and you can trust him from here to tomorrow. In the center, of course, is me, looking wonderful, as the moderator. General Raskowski furrows his brow, points his finger up in the air, and his mustache wiggles to indicate he's talking. A card comes up saying, in bourgeois society, capital is independent and has individuality, while the living person is dependent and has no individuality. Then we cut back to President America. He starts giving a big old belly laugh. He's holding his sides, it's so funny. He starts pointing at Raskowski and shaking his head, chuckling away. If you could hear it, you know that laughter would be really, really contagious. Then, of course, he stops, smiles at the 
camera, give us a wink, and says something. Then a card comes up and says, that's stupid. Now, as a moderator, of course, I start chiming in at this All right, point. all right, that was communism or stupid. Now, uh, you just made fun of, uh, like, what, a Karl Marx quote? You would just have have them read a Karl Marx quote each episode and just rip on it? Is that all it was? Hey, now, don't knock it. You can get loads of material out of just making fun of one thing. Trust me, you, lots and lots of episodes. Oh, no, I know, I, I believe you. I mean, I know, I know all about that. I, I'm just saying, that's all it was. Well, don't make it sound like it's not much. That's a lot. Okay, no, that's okay, good, good. And what was the name of their show that ripped us off? Well, they missed the entire point. They took a show that was a good, upstanding show about communism being stupid, and they twisted it all around, made it about religious beliefs. That's not what I wanted at all. That was definitely not what the people who wrote the Constitution intended. It's like they got it all backwards completely. To be honest with you, it sounds to me like they're some sort of communist pinkos. Well, yeah, but, I, I mean, if they were communists, they probably wouldn't, you know... To try to show it to make money. Hey, don't be so sure. The communists have lots of tricks to make it seem like they're not communists. Taking money for things is just one of those tricks. And that's an obvious one. You ever notice that they sell copies of the Communist Manifesto? Ah, think about it. Oh, all right, all right. Well, all right, let's listen to their clip. Well, uh, as you know, uh, evolution is is called the theory of evolution. That means it's only a theory. It hasn't been conclusively proven by science. So I think that in order to broaden the education of students around the country and expose them to as much as we possibly can so, so that they can make their own informed, intelligent decisions. We need to expose them to all kinds of theories, including evolution, creationism, and any other reasonable theory that might come along regarding how life might have come about on Earth. General Samuels, you are a general in the U.S. Army. I am the president of Russia. I think I know a little bit more about educational things than you do. All right. <laughs> You may be decked out in some sort of military uniform, but that does not make you smarter than anyone else. Evolution is a theory, but only in the same way that it's a theory that the Earth goes around the sun. It is essentially proven. We all believe that it's true. That, that was that was pretty similar. Wasn't it, though? Wasn't it? And they did flip it around. They did flip it around quite a bit. And I noticed that they repeated even, like, a phrase. I mean, they obviously they had the, the characters similar, but they, they used the phrase decked out, which you had used once or twice, I don't remember. I know, and that was definitely a significant moment in my court case. It was very, very significant. I said, you know, look at this. Decked out. Decked out. Ah. Right, right. So, okay, and I think you have one more clip, right? Absolutely. And this one is, this one is just, you know, just reprehensible. But let's hear it. Now, this is from your show called Tripper and Clark. Correct? Tripper and Clark, absolutely. That's my detective series, and I couldn't be more proud of it. Well, let's hear the clip. And at that point, the sneaky-looking mustached villain looks over both of his shoulders before sneaking into the diner. What he didn't see was Tripper and Clark peeking around the corner, watching it all happen. Tripper pulls out his gun and starts walking right towards that diner. But Clark grabs his shoulder. He shakes his head before gesturing it over towards the diner. And a card comes up, says, it's too dangerous. Tripper adjusts his hat, shakes off Clark's grasp, and wiggles his gums, saying something. The card comes up and says, I've got no choice. Hold on to your gun and keep it cocked. And then he's off. Chasing after that villain. All right, a pretty, pretty straightforward, uh, you know, de detective show. That's what I thought. That was what I thought. And yet, here they are. They not only rip off my idea for the two characters, they then twist it around and make it something sick. Now, wait, what? Now, what is the name of their show? What? what it's sick? Well, the name of it's not sick. The name's Draper and Hart. But trust me when I tell you, this is a sick, sick show. All right, well, let's hear it. We know Boarfield's lacking into the Red Diner at 1600. Ate a seven-course meal. Stayed after closing. He can only be hiding in there with the loot now. I've got to go in. Draper, no, it's too dangerous. Just stay here with me. Hard, I have no choice. If we don't do it now, they'll succeed with the greatest bank heist in the history of the month. Just back me up. Hold on to your gun and keep it cocked. I love you. 
Do you see? Do you see what I'm talking about? This is a disgusting and terrible, terrible show. Well, they, they really, I mean, they did steal a lot of what you did in that. I mean, they took lines directly from your, your show. Well, yes, they took lines directly from my show, but I'm talking about the fact that they made it all queer. Why'd they have to go and queer up my show? I'm doing a show about a pair of dicks. I'm doing a show about a pair of man's men. You know, the kind of hard men that get things done. And they have to turn it into something fancy. Some sort of little butterfly show. That's not my show, I tell you. That's not my show. Well, it is my show for legal purposes, of course. That's why they stole it from me and all that. But I'm just saying, they corrupted it. Well, I, I gotta say, you make a very persuasive case. Uh, having heard all that evidence, I would say, yes, it seems pretty clear that those shows were stolen. Thankfully, as you said, the lawsuit is settled entirely. There's no more loose ends. No, nothing, no one else is needing to be, you know, tried. No one else needs to be punished. It, it's all settled once and for all. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Mr. Franklin Allenton and I got the business done. We shook hands. We signed contracts and all the things that needed to get squared away are all squared away. Like I said, they're selling all the parts of the business and I am going to be filthy rich. I certainly hope. And so they're not making any of these shows anymore. All the shows are completely discontinued. Absolutely correct. The day after the deal was done, I had them bring every single employee of all of Allen Industries into one giant room, had them all sit down, got in front of a microphone in front of them all, said to them, hey, guess what, folks? You're all fired. Now get the hell off my property and I will not have you arrested. Go. You would never have guessed you could see that many people running that fast. They got the hell out of Dodge as quickly as humanly possible. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad it's all settled. And I, I, again, I'm only sad that Franklin Allenton didn't suffer more, but, you know, at least he suffered a bit, and that's good. Well, I suppose it is. It's for the best. That it is, that it is. Well, uh, listen, uh, Mr. Jordan Aloysius White, uh, maker of the Shaped in Wax podcast, thank you so much for giving me this exclusive. Not a problem. Like I said, I owe it to you. You, after all, did me the service no, no, no. of... You know, you don't owe me, you don't owe me, uh, you know, what's right is what's right, so, you know, now that everything is settled, it's all good, um, and everything is, is pleasant. It was certainly pleasant doing the show with you, that much is for sure. It was very pleasant doing the show with you as well. Uh, listeners, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been a Frank Allen interview, and I guess it's going to be uh, two weeks, and I'll be back. See you soon. Thank you very much for listening to that interview. That was great. That was great. No, it was not great. It was great. Oh, <laughs> Rory, was it not great? Well, it depends on how you look at it. I suppose in certain ways it was good, and in other ways it was not. So I'm just left with one question, though. Uh, so Jordan White, uh, Jordan Aloysius White, I, I suppose I should have clarified. Jordan Aloysius White made up these these radio serials, uh, rather, I'm sorry, these uh, silent films, which were then stolen by you. Well, no, no, it was legally speaking, it was just a settlement, so no culpability was assigned to me. It was just Allen Industries gave up its... Assets. Sure. Um, but you, you took those ideas, hypothetically, from that podcast from the 1940s. Uh, but what about the fact that the shows are actually somewhat similar to Jordan D. White's shows that we're doing on the podcast here? No, I, I think that's a coincidence. I don't, I don't see any real meaty connection. All right. If that's what you say. But that's what I say. That is not what you say. Escape, can you shut the robot up? Robot! <laughs> You're doing a good job of disagreeing with Frank Allen. Thank you. You're very welcome. Oh, oh I think it's time for more days in more history. <laughs> so, this is for today, right? You're going to do one for real today now, Roy Sinjin? Yes. Why Why does everyone keep saying everyone's name? It's very unusual. I don't know, Roy Sinjin. I don't know. All right, Scapey. Well, uh, yes, this one is for today's day in actual history. Here we are. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On April 13th, 1997, in Augusta, Georgia, 21-year-old Tiger Woods wins the prestigious Masters Tournament by a record 12 strokes. It was Woods' first victory in one of golf's four major championships and the greatest performance by a professional golfer in more than a century. 
and young Master Woods is on the 18th hole right now. He's lining up for the putt. It's about a 30-yard shot from this vantage point. And Phil Mickelson is giving him golf's cruelest hazing ritual. He's attacking him from behind. This is definitely a dark day in the history of golf, and it just goes to remind you that no matter how good of a phenomenon you are in golf, rape is a very inconsiderate thing to do. And he's winding up for the shot, and yes, it looks like it's a very good one. Goal! And the inconsiderate crime of rape is uh, widely frowned upon by most of the uh, civilized world. This is WHRW Binghamton, where we agree that it's not a nice thing to do. But don't put the score down yet. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Yes, rape is a very unpleasant fact, and it can ruin almost any occasion. And because of the infinite theory of the universe that those of us who practice extra-historical studies subscribe to, for every happy occasion in Tiger Woods' life in any reality, there is another reality where that occasion was ruined by someone trying to rape him. Tiger Woods wins the Masters. Tiger Woods is awarded a Nobel Peace Prize. Tiger Woods wins an Oscar. Tiger Woods is elected President of the United States of America. Tiger Woods makes out with Jenny McCarthy. Tiger Woods eats the best sandwich of his life. Tiger Woods is inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Tiger Woods gets to play C-3PO in a scene of Star Wars. Tiger Woods is so happy, he does the dance of joy. Tiger Woods purchases a winning lottery ticket. Tiger Woods realizes that he has the powers of Spider-Man. Tiger Woods bends down to pick up a penny, only to have a giant steel girder rush past right above his head where he would have been had he not bent over. All of these are pleasant situations, but all of them would be ruined by rape. Don't let this happen to you, and don't make it happen to anyone you no. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. That was kind of unpleasant. Well, yes, that's the point. That rape is an unpleasant thing, and, you know, the fact that there is a universe right now where you are being raped as you say those words, you know, it, it's just it's just appalling, and it really shouldn't be that way. Well, by that logic, there actually are an infinite number of universes where you're being raped right now. Well, yes, and, and that's just unspeakable. It should really be outlawed, and... It is outlawed! What, it's against the law! What are you talking about? Well, uh, yeah, no, right, yes, but, I well, I just thought that someone should speak out against it. Nobody, who, everybody speaks out against, nobody's in favor of it. Well, I wouldn't say no one. I mean, obviously someone is in favor of it. They're doing it. So you think this PSA, the, the point of this PSA that you just did, is that someone who was like, you know, gee, rape, rape sounds good, is going to hear that and go, oh, it's not as good as I thought. Well, there actually, technically, is a universe where that happens. And there's one where it, oh, there's a universe where nobody's ever heard of rape, and they heard that somehow across reality barriers and went, well, what is this rape thing? And they look it up in a cross-universal dictionary, find what, what it is, and go, I never thought of that before. And they start doing it. Well, do, do you really think so? Well, mathematically, there must be, right? I, I never looked at it like that. Well, perhaps that was rather irresponsible of me, then. It's okay, Rory. It's okay. Friend Gary is just talking nonsense because he wants to make you feel bad about yourself because that's what he does best because he has no love inside for his own self. Right, robot? That is correct, Scapey. Frank Allen is a psychological shell of a man with no more self-worth than the gum on the bottom of his shoe. What? No, that's not... I did oh, I didn't know I had this. Why didn't you tell me about this gum before? Ugh. Yeah, God, this is disgusting. Clean it up. Don't get it on our carpet. Oh, really gross. Well, now it's time to move on to uh, another show. Oh, uh, this is the beginning of the third season of Decker and Hayes. Uh, you might remember, if you are a regular listener, that at the end of the last time, uh, Star Decker... That shot, hmm, not so good for her. And it went right in 
to her spine, and now she can't even walk anymore. So that's not good. So we pick up now with her, like, can't walk. So here we go. Decker and Hayes. Decker and Hayes, Season 3, Episode 1, To Cast Thee Up Again, by Daniel Schwartz. Stella Decker, Parlor Town's premier private investigator, woke up that morning to the usual unpleasant surprise. Damn it. Wasn't a dream. She'd been out of the hospital for a month now, and had spent most of that time learning how to live in her home again without being able to walk. Stella had spent her entire life being the strongest. First as a street urchin, then as a gangbanger, finally as a private detective. She'd taken down men twice her size with her bare hands and racked up a body count the envy of most army rangers. Now her most hated enemy was a staircase. Still, she'd survive because she wasn't a quitter, because she wouldn't be another hopeless case in the hopeless case of a city that was Parlor Town. And if she could never kick a man in the family jewels again, she'd just have to get creative. Not that this wasn't without its little... Pitfalls. But the world wouldn't stand still for her, so she might as well make the best of it. She got dressed, slowly and painfully, and wheeled herself into the kitchen. Morning, baby. Hey, hon. You're looking pretty shiny today. Shiny? You know, bouncy, bubbly, happy. Yeah, I guess I am. Macy Hayes was Stella's partner in the business and the bedroom. A genteel facade hid the cold and ruthless heart of a former CIA agent. She'd managed to keep her past under wraps until an old business associate forced her hand. When she'd killed him, she'd gone to jail, sentenced to life for tying up a loose end. She'd spent a year behind bars before her old friends popped up again, getting her released from jail to track down a Russian arms smuggler. What followed was a web of betrayals, double crosses, and lies that killed their secretary and some of their closest friends, and left a bullet lodged in Stella's spine. The losses had been high, but Macy had won her freedom, forcing the CIA to honor her release from prison and to stay away from her, her partner, and her city. It had gotten the duo back together, but hadn't been without its price. We've got a case. Jane called me as I was getting the coffee ready. I thought I heard the phone ring. Who's the client? She didn't want to say on the phone. She said it was someone really important. Huh. Wonder what they want us for. Damn it! Baby, let me take care of No! I can do it! Stella, don't! God damn it! You okay, baby? No! I'm not freaking okay! I'm a freaking cripple, Macy! I can't walk! I can't stand! I can barely get out of bed! We haven't had sex in five months! I'm just a stupid, useless cripple! Shh! Baby, shh! Stella, listen to me. Listen to me. I love you. You hear me? I love you. You're the strongest, most beautiful, most wonderful woman I know. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Nothing's going to change that. You'll get through this. Nothing keeps my baby down. Promise. Promise. Besides, with a wreck like yours, who cares about your legs? (laughs) (laughs) Stella and Macy got into their pickup and drove down to the building that housed their business. The Decker and Hayes Detective Agency was the best law enforcement Parlor Town could offer, 
in a city full of organized crime and rampant unemployment. Most people knew better than to go to the police if they had problems. The rich bought justice as they needed it, and the poor scraped together what they could and came to people like Stella and Macy. The other big name among Parlor Town P.I.s, Julian McGinnis, had retired a few months before, so business had been steady in a town where wrongs needed righting. Hey there, Jane. Good morning, Miss Hayes, Miss Decker. Jane Vance had been hired as a new secretary while Stella had been in the hospital. Jane was efficient, polite, neither too tactful or too simple to ask questions. The boy she replaced, Tommy Potsdam, had been shot down in the very office she was now working in. The circumstances of his death, her new employer's past, and the source of Stella's injury were matters Jane seemed utterly unconcerned by. Her almost tyrannical enforcement of a sense of normalcy had kept Decker and Hayes running smoothly for the last few months. As Stella wheeled up to the desk, she also reflected that Jane wasn't bad on the eyes, either. So, what's the story, girl? A few offers, nothing really time-sensitive. The thing I really wanted to tell you about wants you on the case immediately. Who is it? Would you believe Mayor Glass? No way. Yes way. Mayor Glass. Robert Thomas Glass. Getting better every day, Mayor Glass? The same. He's expecting you around noon. I've got most of the office in order for now. You guys can catch some lunch and head over there. Sounds good to me. Sure you'll be okay? It's only some paperwork, Miss Hayes. It's hardly a life-or-death situation. Oh, and I almost forgot. Where did I... Where did I put that? Uh, here, Miss Decker. Sudoka? No, ma'am, it's pronounced Sudoku. It's a Japanese number game. Okay, so what? Well, it helps me focus when I've had a long day, and I... I thought that it might help you, too. Oh. How do you play? The rules are all in there, but basically you just need to put all the numbers in the right places. The easiest way is to find the one number that's the key to the whole puzzle. That's what Sudoku means. The lone number. Hmm. Sounds kind of interesting. Thanks, Jane. Uh, Let's get going, babe. Number one parlor plaza was the city hall. Huge and opulent, it was a monument to Parlor Town's blatant corruption and fiscal mismanagement. Macy and Stella arrived early, taking a minute to take it in in all its hideous glory. That is one ugly building. And we're lesbians. How do other people deal with it? (laughs) Shut up! Jeez, some days you can be so immature. May I help you, ladies? Yes, please. We have an appointment with Mayor Glass. Decker and Hayes? Hayes. Didn't you shoot that guy last year? I don't see how that's any of your business. Don't think I'm going to let a convicted killer in to see the mayor. No. What part of appointment was unclear, punk ass? Let us through. Why, lady? You gonna run over my foot? Steph, what are you doing? These ladies are here to see me. They're cool. Apologies, Mr. Mayor. Robert Glass had been elected mayor of Parlor Town almost a decade before, and held on to the position by being impossible to dislike. In his late thirties, Glass had an irresistible smile and an easy manner that made even his opponents think well of him. Mayor Glass was so charming and so friendly that most people forgot he ruled a city knee-deep in crime, poverty, and corruption. Miss Decker, Miss Hayes, thank you so much for coming. Let me show you to my office. Is this your first time in City Hall? Well, we don't really have much time for the nickel tour now, but once we've completed the meeting, I'll see what we can do about showing the two of you around. This way. Oh, hey, Connie, can you hold my calls? Thanks, dear. (sighs) Okay, so, coffee? Yes, please. Excellent. Cream or sugar? Certainly, thank you. Not a problem. And you, Miss Decker? Black. Good choice. I've never been much for diluting my coffee. The flavor's what I really love about it. Look, no offense, Mr. Mayor, but we didn't come here to talk about coffee. Is there some kind of case we can help you with? Yes, yes, my apologies. This whole matter has gotten me pretty upset. 
You see, I got this box a few days ago. It doesn't look like much, but inside, well... <gasps> Is that a cat? Well, was, certainly. Now it's more of a dead cat with bits cut out of it. Jesus, somebody really went to town on this little guy. Why would somebody send this to you? Was there any kind of note? A cassette, actually. It took me the longest time to find a cassette player. It's really amazing how fast we phased them out. Can we listen to it? I was hoping you would ask that question. A little gift to you from the widow, Mr. Mayor. The first of many. Call the cops and it'll be your daughter next time. Jesus. I didn't know you had a daughter, Mr. Mayor. Neither did I. <laughs> My wife and I don't normally like to discuss her condition, but children aren't really an option. It's why we adopted our son, Rajip. Mr. Mayor, if we're going to help you, keeping secrets will only make things harder. I'm fully aware of that. Trust me, nothing would please me more than to have some kind of dark and shocking secret that would stop people from leaving butchered cats in my mailbox. But this whole thing is an absolute mystery to me. That's why I need your help. Well, despite your position of authority, our normal fees... Will be doubled. Anything that will get this psychotic behind bars before any more atrocities are committed. I say we take it. Sounds good to me. Excellent. Now, have you seen the statue of Josiah Parlor on the West Lawn? His stance is simply inspiring. After a brief tour of the plaza, Stella and Macy bid their goodbyes to the mayor and left to pound the pavement. On the way out, they ran into an old rival. Why, Miss Decker, Miss Hayes, good to see you. Officer Bobco, what a surprise. Yeah, I guess God really is deaf to our prayers. Yeah, yeah, whatever. What brings the killer and the cripple to City Hall? We're doing our job, Bobco. You wouldn't understand. Look, just watch yourself, Dyke. I don't know how you got out Babylon after shooting that guy, but I won't be sorry to put you back in there. You want to keep talking to my partner that way, Bobco? Because that's the way policemen get their asses kicked. Who's going to kick it, Decker? You? Screw off, jackass. <laughs> Whatever, sister. I'd say watch your step, but... <laughs> Ignoring the cop's mockery, the pair took to the truck. Stella never liked it when Macy drove her truck, but she was in no position to do it herself. So what are you doing in that book? This? Oh, it's that Sudoku thing Jane got me. They do it in Japan instead of crossword puzzles, I've heard. Yeah? Cool. How's it going? Badly. I'm not very good. Well, I'm sure it'll come with practice. So what do you think of the cat thing? Probably just some crazy. Let's check down at Elsinore, see who's gotten released lately. I'm not so sure. What about the whole thing with the daughter? What about it? It seems like a weird thing to just make up. I mean, they had to import a son from India, for Christ's sake. There's no reason they'd have a daughter. Unless it isn't their daughter. Huh? I've got a hunch. Take a left at the next light. Here? Yeah. Right there on Gallagher. The well-polished buildings of Parlor Plaza gave way to the run-down, dilapidated tenements of South Tip. Stella's old stomping ground had seen a lot of action in the past few months, but a little ballistic therapy had cleared out the infamous Spider Gang. On a street corner, however, was an unfamiliar sign. Hey, Macy. Stop the truck. Hey, girl! What's that on your leg? What's what? The white garter. What's that all about? You don't know much, do you, girl? That's the sign. I'm one of the widow's girls. Boys play too rough, they gotta answer to her. The widow? A little gift from the widow? Yeah, she's the queen of South Tip. Nobody crosses her. Where'll we find her? That's the kind of news that costs money. 
tempting, but I prefer taller women. Thanks anyway, sugar. Whatever. Well, that's twice today we've heard about the widow. The Queen of South Tip. I know who used to have that title. This way. Up Gallagher Street, they drove to Mama Wang's, the most notorious brothel in Parlortown. Mama Wang herself had ruled South Tip with an iron fist until she'd been gunned down, only hours before a bullet had cut Stella in half. She had left the house to Stella, who'd been close to her when they were both younger. But between a Russian arms smuggler and a crippling injury, Stella had been in no position to take it over at the time. Now it seemed she'd have to deal with the new management. Yeah, what? We're here to see Tasha. Um, yes, ma'am. Can I, uh, help you, ma'am? Sure, thanks. Hey, watch the hands. Back off, bitch. Stella don't like what I'm doing, she'll tell me. You're Sally Slash's boy, aren't you? What? You've got her nose, and she called everyone bitch, too. One night, some John smacked her so hard, she lost three teeth on her right side. I chased him down six blocks and hit him until he couldn't smack anybody no more. She told me about that, ma'am. Said you were real nice to her. I don't like jackasses. And a good way to get on my jackass list is to disrespect my girl. Got that, kid? Yes, ma'am. The bouncer lifted up Stella and carried her up the stairs, Macy bringing the folded-up wheelchair behind them. They passed upholstered couches and open doors to rooms where dozens of dozing girls rested up for the night ahead. At the top of the stairs in the end of the hall was the office from which Mama Wang had ruled her empire of sin. The wheelchair was unfolded and Stella deposited there. Macy knocked on the door. Come in. Through the open door was an office that was largely unchanged. Dozens of books scattered around, large plush chairs and the mahogany desk that had been a royal pain to get up the stairs. At the desk was a blonde woman, her scarred body covered up entirely by a modest and simple dress and gloves. She looked up, and Stella recognized the woman she'd fought, killed, and bled for. The first woman to steal her heart away. Why, Stella! Miss Hayes? Tasha didn't have a last name. She'd grown up alongside Stella on the streets of Parlortown's crummiest neighborhood, South Tip. Together they'd shared gang tattoos, stolen cigarettes, and the first tender kisses of love. Then she disappeared, never sending word about where she'd gone or what had happened. She'd shown up six months ago at Stella's door, bleeding from a gunshot wound with a dreadful story to tell. She'd been kept by a rival gang as a sex slave for almost twenty years. She'd filled the vacuum left when Mama Wang died, taking over control of her home turf. Rumor was that she never let anyone touch her now, and her relationship with Macy was cold on its best days. Thank God you could come. What are you talking about, hon? You're here because I called for you, right? We hadn't heard anything, Tasha. That's just weird. Still, I'm glad you're here. What's wrong, Tosh? I need your help with the widow. Parlor Town's best detectives seek out a bloodthirsty stalker. On the way, they see old faces, but nothing feels the same. What is the meaning behind the mysterious package the mayor received? How is Tasha involved? Tune in as our favorite duo tries to answer these questions in the next episode of Decker and Hayes. Out of Joint. In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tyman, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Jane Vance was Ava Rosenblatt, the guard was Anna Cole, Mayor Robert Glass was Ryan LaRanger, the voice was Justin Ha, Officer Bupka was Elijah Weberhan, the hall was Lisa Pantuso, the bouncer was Jordan D. White, and Tasha was Guinevere Eckert.
The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Murkowski. Thank you, Rory. Uh, it's time now for the end of the show section, which is always kick-started by me singing a song. So here is my brand new world premiere song for this show. Fifty episodes of Casting Wax. Fifty episodes, and that's a fact. Fifty episodes of Scapey singing, almost. Fifty episodes, that's just a thing, and I say, oh. Fifty episodes, I say, oh. What do you know? Which episode is the best one? The best one. Which episode is the best one? And the best one was it? Why did you need my bananas? Why was it? You can always smell so many things. Was it? Giant purple crowns? Was it blood and crusty pots? Was it? A sex period of ignorance? Was it? You don't think, do you, was it? In the future, everyone is dead, was it? Kissing makeup? I don't know. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. That was an amazing song. Yes, yes it was. Um, so guys, guess what? <laughs> Here we go. Guess how many pieces of Ritzner Mayor we got for our 50th episode? Uh... Fifty? No. Zero. <laughs> zero was the answer. So, uh, you know what that means, audience? Boo! You smell. Sorry. <laughs> you gotta write to us if you want us to read Whistler Mails, cause then, otherwise we don't have any. So here's the email address, okay? It's called this. Castinwax at gmail.com. And that's with new spaces in it, you know, just castinwax. C-A-S-T-I-N-W-A-X at gmail.com. Yes, absolutely. And if you write it to us, then we will have some listener mail instead of no listener mail. Your math skills are amazing. Did anybody ever tell you that? No, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, alright, well, I guess that's the end of the 50th episode. Uh, thanks for everybody listening and thanks for everybody to be here. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Scapey. Robot, you're my favorite part of the show. Except for me. But do you know, guys, do you know why Robot is best part? Uh, why? Because He's a robot, okay? So he's programmed to give me moist food when I ask for it, right? Watch this. Robot! Yes, KB. Will you please give me moist food now? I will. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I gotta go eat some moist food, guys. So, show is over, okay? Bye! Next week, more show, okay? Gotta go. Bye, bye! bye. Goodbye. If someone investigates, yes, the site has webboards. With a couple of posts But just look the names up They belong to ghosts I regret to tell you That it's all a lie No one reads Waxwood.com It is all a myth 
On the next episode of Cast in Wax. On guard duty, Captain Fantasy oversteps his bounds. What's going on, Captain? Oh, yes. Broadband, I'd like you to meet the all-seeing Argus, the newest member of the Earth Guard. What? Argus Panoptes, nice to meet you. No, of course. My pleasure. And on Tractor Fiction, some demons target a drug user. Time's running out for Ashley. She's taken over 60 trips on LSD, mixed with speed. Her brain and arteries are beginning to gel. She's already having flashbacks. It shouldn't be too much longer with her unusual anatomy. All this, plus Rory Sinjin's retarded historical stuff. Yes, this is this is great. I will I'll do the crap. I spilled something. And Scapy brings you a Scapy story, not a Frank Allen interview, interestingly. I have this. On April 20th on waxwork.com.